Thought Leadership from PwC. One, I'd just say get started. You know, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Just be honest in what you're reporting. Don't try and make it fancy if it's not fancy. And just get started. You know, start at the beginning governance. Get your board involved. Get the right teams involved. Today, we're back talking ESG. This time with a special guest who, as you'll hear, is passionate about the future of sustainability reporting. This is PwC's Accounting Podcast. I'm Heather Horn, and thanks so much for joining us today. Marty McBride is Strategic Affairs Director at the IFRS Foundation, responsible for leading the foundation's non-financial standard setting. Marty's played an active role in setting up the International Sustainability Standards Board, and she previously led the Global ESG Standard Setter, the Climate Disclosure Standards Board, CDSB. Marty's been a key player in the changing landscape of ESG reporting over the past year. But also, as you'll hear, her experience and perspectives in this area are grounded in a depth of knowledge formed from navigating sustainability issues for most of the last two decades. While not currently mandatory, the standards of the ISSB are expected to form the groundwork for many jurisdictions' sustainability reporting. In addition, as frequent listeners to this podcast will know, respondents to all three of the big three ESG proposals this year, that would be the SEC, FRAG, and ISSB, called for some sort of global cooperation and framework. So the ISSB is definitely one to watch. My conversation with Marty touched on a variety of topics that will be of interest to those watching ESG reporting, from the consolidation of non-financial standards setters, global alignment, and interoperability of standards, to upskilling preparers, and more. Marty has a wealth of insight about the future of global sustainability reporting, and also ideas on the path to get there. With that, let's dive into the conversation with Marty. So Marty, welcome to the podcast. So nice to be in the studio with you. Thanks for joining me. Oh, it's so good to be here. Thanks for having me, Heather. Yeah, so exciting. So it's definitely been a big year for sustainability reporting. And if you think it was less than a year ago at COP26 that the IFRS Foundation even announced the creation of the ISSB, now we have standards. We just had board meetings this week talking about the draft standards. Um, And, you know, everyone is basically watching as the ISSB is doing this work. What are some, from your perspective, from joining the ISSB this year, what are some of the highlights and biggest accomplishments that you think for the organization? Wow, it's been a massive year, and we're just quite coming up to COP27 now. So think about what we've had to do. We had to to consolidate two standard setters. We had to get a board chair, two vice chairs, and a board, a full board in place. We had to set up a multi-location model. We had to put advisory groups in place to support that board. We had to get a functioning team up to up to speed that like we can actually write standards and uh, go and talk about them. Um, and honestly, it's been the biggest whirlwind and we've been so lucky. We've managed to get support from the GSEV and the G20, the African finance ministers, loads of jurisdictions around the world coming out and saying, hey, guys, this is great. You know, we're really watching. We want to be early adopters. So I think for 12 months, we've We've, we've kind of kept running, yes. but, but we've been so lucky to build off all the great work of, of all of those that, that for the last 15 years that have sort of been laying, that laying the foundations for this. So, Is anything, and I'm sure I'm supposed to be asking this at the end, but I'm just going to start out with it. Anything when you sort of reflect that you feel it's like a whole or something that you feel like should have or would be helpful if had gotten done or really feel good about the spot that you guys are in? I mean, I feel great about where we're at with ISSB standards. I think the thing is, I've, I've been in this game for, for too long, right? Yeah, I've got all the sketches and scars and bruises and bumps for being an ESG standard setter for the last almost 15 years, dare I say it. But, but if I think back, you know, 15 years ago, 12 years ago, 10 years ago, I couldn't get in the door. Like I'd be going in to, to see regulators and see companies and say, hey, I've got this standard. It's about putting financially material information on climate change into your annual report and accounts. And people would be like, get out, who are you, 
well, this makes no sense. Please leave. Like I couldn't get in the door anywhere. So, so it's great now that we have all these regulators running at once trying to regulate for this, right? It just happens to be the same time as we're trying to set standards. And that does make it a bit more, more trickier. We all just got our timing terribly wrong, but it's great that everyone's doing it now. Yeah. Although I feel like everyone was just, they had, I don't know, five more years, but if we have five more years, we say 10 more years. And so I think just trying to get it done as, as fast as we can is the best, you know, everyone can do. Now you mentioned, your past, your history is 15 years of, of in this area. And I think for many of our listeners that maybe have spent 15 days, perhaps 15 months, if they've been at it for a while, that's a long time. So how did you even get involved in ESG reporting? I literally fell in. I fell in. I was, uh, I must say, I was a failed civil servant here in the UK. I couldn't do carbon market policy. It was, it was just after COP. And I started off my career as a forester. I'm a qualified lumberjack, environmental scientist and agro-economist. I was like, so what do I do? And, and I've done loads of lobbying and public-private partnership management. And then I just saw this and it seemed um, it seemed like just the right fit, you know, looking after a secretariat, environmental, climate, financial reporting. Oh, I could learn that bit. And uh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, I think, you know, as soon as you say forestry, it's funny, I interviewed a guest earlier this year who was studying some forestry books to understand some of what his company was doing. And so I do think this is truly a place where lots of different areas of expertise need to come well, together. That's so right. Like when I'm saying to companies, we need to go and assess what what's on the ground or in the supply chains. I know you, I've done it. I've surveyed those forests. I've looked for the biodiversity. I've, I've surveyed the wood chip piles. You know, I, I really do. I've, mis- I've stuck probes. That's how old I am. I stuck a probe in stacks to measure like emissions coming out the top so we can look at changing the flows to reduce them. Like I've done it. Yeah. So, so so it's okay to set the standards and ask others to do it because I've practically got my hands dirty and know it's possible. Well, also I, I do think companies are going to have to do this. So it's very good to have someone involved from a standing setting perspective who knows that it's possible. But, you know, one of the things as we think, again, challenges this past year, and you listed like this huge number of things you guys have done. But in the meantime, it's not like it's been in a vacuum because you have, you know, we're calling it the big three. You're one of the big three with FRAG and the SEC. But then you also have all this other activity that's going on. And as you mentioned, you've consolidated organizations and, you know, otherwise. So have how are you informed by what's going on? And then I definitely want to get into the the organizations that um, have joined you. Absolutely. I mean, we can't we can't exist in a vacuum. And we did we did immediately set up a jurisdictional working group to work with Europe and with the US in, in making sure that what we had worked across everyone. We want to set a global baseline that's interoperable and can work no matter where you are in the world. Um, and and so we had to just start start working through that process. We had much stronger alignment around the TCFD with the US. So it was much, much a simpler sort of conversation and approach. Um, Europe didn't have the same four pillars of TCFD as their underpinning. We hope, fingers crossed, by the time you listen to this podcast, maybe we've made some progress there and, and we're coming closer to, to a, ground, a middle ground and, and, and we can maybe have that baseline that we can continue to build off and, and with the TCFD four pillars as, as the core framing. But, you know, this space is so unbelievably busy and there are so many, I mean, great initiatives. And they set up because people identify challenges. And so they set up a group to help fix those challenges. And we don't want to stop that. Um, but at the same time, we need to make sure when we are setting all these up that we're actually addressing needs and we're not afraid to go, you know, to sunset or go away once we've addressed that need. You know, mission creep's a real thing and, you know, fixing the problem and and then disbanding is a really important part about in this space right now. Yeah, because it definitely seems like it's almost like this such maybe a bad analogy, but it's like you dropped a, a pile of spaghetti. They're all across that, you know, they're all sort of together. And it's like you need to line them up and consolidate them to really get to where we need to get to from a reporting perspective, or it's just too difficult for all the preparers and investors for that matter. Well, that's right. And also reporting, what we're asking of the standards is literally it's the last thing we need companies to be doing. We actually need the action Mm-hmm. That comes before reporting. And we don't have that much time left, really, if we are going to make meaningful change to our future, if we're going to meet any 2030 or 2050 targets, get close to 1.5 degrees. We need to have been, you know, working, you know, with a lined up pile of spaghetti for quite some time now. So, you know, it's the action before reporting, but reporting helps move that money to more sustainable businesses and investments and hopefully also supports you know a, a more just transition in the global south. So we have a separate episode where we're talking about the responses that you guys received, but I'm happy to hear your feedback. But in particular, I'm curious because you talk about action. Are Do you think 
the people who are responding, and I'll call it paying attention to you, are more the ones thinking, how am I going to report this? Or are you also getting some of the, how are we actually going to do this? Or some of both? I think because we're talking about resilience, we're talking about transition plans, we're getting the how are we doing this, right? How are we going to make make that change so we are a resilient business? And, and that's what we need, right? This is not about just reporting for reporting's sake. It's about resilient businesses and a resilient future. So if people are reporting for reporting's sake, it does become a tick box exercise and it shows. It absolutely shows in your reporting and you probably won't make it through the audit anyway nowadays. You know, it, it's really about making sure you're telling it, – the truth, an honest reflection of, of where you're at. and Yeah, and I guess some of what we've talked about here before on the podcast is just this idea that you can't clamp it on. So it can't just be something that's over the top, but it really has to be something that it is part of the strategy or otherwise for it to be meaningful. Now, obviously, depending on the industry you're in, there's going to be varying levels of how important it is in terms of integrating it with your strategy. But again, it's not something that's kind of done in a vacuum. I mean, this has to be business as usual. It has to cut across all functions of the business. Sustainability is no long you know, no longer a function of communications and marketing where it has been for so long. This is a function of the board. It's a function of the, the CEO and the CFO right through the entire business. So it's a completely different way of thinking about how we, we manage structure, you know, put rigor around this, this data. So then just, I want to rewind to something you said that you said that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, 12, 10, you couldn't even barely get in the door. I'm sure you, I'm sure you got in some doors, but, but uh, it's still, it's, things are different now. And would you say that this has been like a gradual increase or it feels like it was very, very gradual and then very steep that all of a sudden there has been a lot more focus and a lot more interest, but just curious from your perspective. It was slow burn until about 2015, 2016. And that's when we start to see all the, the sort of nature-based methodologies coming up, but that's when the task force on climate-related financial disclosure started, where everyone was like, oh, this really is a financially, could be a financially material risk. Oh. And that was the real kick, I think. And that's when the European Union regs started to change. That's when the lobbying in the US started to change. It's when governments around the world started to make this at least voluntary or raise it in, here in the UK, for example. It became, you know, sort of mandatory in your report to report greenhouse gas. You know, this started to become a thing. Mm-hmm. And then everyone's like, oh, actually, this could be, could be quite important. So, yeah, 2015 – on the round up. And if you think we're to mid, mid, late 2022 now, goodness. Um, and we started this journey sort of with the IFRS and consolidation in, in 2020. So it, it's kind of still really quite fast. Yes, in, it's in, very in, fast. In how fast we're moving. Yes. I mean, we've talked in the US, um, the, the current reporting regime started in like 1933, 1934 with the Securities Acts. And, you know, that's almost a hundred years ago to get to where we are. And here we are trying to get this done, you know, very, very quickly. So I think to your point, it's, it says a lot. Quick, but with the right rigor, remember, absolutely with the rigor of accounting standard setting that you're all familiar with. Yes, definitely. So let me go into some like specific questions then. So in particular, I think we, probably the most questions that I'm getting are from multinational companies. And it usually starts with, because I'm dealing with US-based companies. Okay, they know they're dealing with the SEC. Wait a minute, how about CSRD? Wait, how does the ISSB fit in? And then how am I supposed to keep track of everything going on in all of these other jurisdictions? So how do you think about those three kind of lined up next to each other? And you know, any if you'd like to say where you think this is going, I'll also be very happy to hear that. Well, I think think if we can get Europe to align with TCFD, I think that's the most important part because the core of all of these is TCFD, which makes the alignment across the jurisdictions much, much more simpler. So you get that baseline of which you'll have US deviations, you'll have Europe going quite a lot further up in terms of impact reporting as well. And then you have sort of us that sort of setting that that sort of medium baseline if somewhere between the two if you like there isn't massive difference between the sec and the issb it's not it's not huge um and so some simple mapping there will, will you know will mm-hmm. be helpful you've also got i think it was question 189 in the the draft that sort of said you know if an international company issb yes. standards are you know do you agree that we should use issb standards so hopefully the answer to that is oh yes yes and that will help a lot our multinational as well so if we just got to pull the european piece around mm-hmm. and if we can get that to align then I think we're in a really good place for multinational companies. 
Yeah. So I wanted to go back to TCFD, but actually it's interesting you bring up that question 189 because definitely PwC weighed in and we said that we thought that multinationals, including U.S. multinationals, should be able to report using ISSB. But the probably key, there is the difference because the different requirements with the footnotes. But then, you know, what we would say is, okay, well, you can then meet part of it, at least a big part of it, and they just have to supplement instead of just saying you have to do everything. And so I think, you know, hopefully there are some ways, even with some of the differences of metrics, or as I said, the footnotes, that you would still be able to leverage the ISSB to meet that SEC report. And some of that's that building block we were talking about. There's obviously a foundation and the SEC needs something different in that jurisdiction. And you're going to see that everywhere. So here in the UK, a good example is the Transition Pathway Task Force. There's a UK mandate for companies here to have to produce transition plans. Well, how does that fit with the ISSB? So we've been working quite closely with them to make sure that transition plan can actually form a building block and align completely on top because it goes a lot further than we can go as a standard setter. So it's about working together to make sure each jurisdiction can achieve their ambition and their priorities off the global baseline to prevent, you know, fragmentation and make sure we are getting that consistent, comparable and decision useful information that we really need to be seeing. Well, absolutely, because not just preparers, but investors are saying the exact same thing because they don't want to be dealing with all these different reports and trying to figure out and to reconcile. And I think that's been one of the main complaints about voluntary reporting is that if you know you pick up company A and company E, it's you might get totally different information and that's not that helpful if I'm an investor. No, and it's also not that helpful if you've got a sustainability report and an annual report and accounts that are published at separate times that don't actually speak to each other with climate numbers in one and climate numbers in another that are completely different. And so that's one of the exciting things I think about the ISSB recommendations is it's asking, even if you don't put your sustainability information in your main communication to investors, that you publish it at exactly the same time and it's connected that's, I think, a big step forward in helping companies tell that one consistent, comparable story to the market. So everyone can make you know, the same decision based, based on what they're telling us. Yeah. And so I was involved in writing PwC's letter. And for those who have listened to the podcast, they will know PwC is also sort of on that, uh, that it's very important to have that financial and non-financial information at the same time. But maybe for our, our listeners that aren't convinced or haven't been following this carefully, why, what in your view, why is that so important? Well, one at the moment, you know, a, a great complaint from companies we hear all the time is, oh, I've been given this score and I don't know why I've been given the score by a ratings agency, for example, or a ranker. And it's because they've taken all the public information that's available. So two or three different, port, you know, sometimes I'm seeing an annual report and accounts, an integrated report, a TCFD report, a sustainability report, and possibly another report on top of a SASB status report, right? That's most of those are actually supposed to be one report. They're not supposed to be standalone reports. And they've got different numbers in every single one mm-hmm. of them. And I think that's, you know, this is a bad. So, and then they get a ranking or a rating based on an average of everything they've put out there and can't understand why they've got it. Or someone's had to make an assessment of which one they're going to pick. And they just don't quite know. And this is really important to provide the trust and transparency that the market needs to move companies. It's about, you, you know, yourself. If you realize you had six different numbers published, you'd also go, oh my God, are we crazy? Like that makes right. no sense, right? Right. right. No right. sense. And there's a real big move, move out there. And um, the PwC is a member of WBCSD and they published today Reporting Matters and it's 10 years. So they've been, and what they do is they take all their members' reports and they look at them to see if they actually like align. And the first year they did it, or first five or six years they did it, they were finding, they were reading all their members' reports and going, hang on a second, none of these make any, like they do not stack up, <laughs> yes, right? Yes. And it's so important that these these reports tell one one story to all, you know, to st- key stakeholders. So that way, well, let's be honest, it just, it just makes sense. Yeah. Just- well, and I think that part that, you know, our audience is mostly financial professionals and people who the thought of like one number over here and one number over here that are ostensibly the same thing is just a cringe, you know, cringe well, so moment. It, so. it lowers the reporting burden, like four or five, six reports. You don't need to do that. No. You know, this is supposed to lower the burden, make it much easier to collect and store, put the rigor around data. You know, this is not supposed to make your life harder. The baseline is supposed to make your life Right. Easier. Yeah. Well, I definitely think that building blocks concept is easy also for people to understand. It's like you have one baseline and then yes, if the SEC wants a little bit more, they can top off. Or if another jurisdiction has its own particular thing, they can top off. But it's, you know, you're 90% the same and then the top off, not 5% here, 5% there. So definitely uh, agree with that. 
But one question I wanted to go back to, you know, we've talked about the fact that SEC and the ISSB are both based on TCFD, and I've been doing some episodes recently on TCFD. But one thing I realized I have not been talking about is why TCFD is a framework that I'll say makes sense from, you know, if you, again, you're looking through sort of a financial reporting lens. So any perspectives on that? I think it makes sense from a financial reporting lens because they adopted the language of business when they wrote it. They adopted the language of existing corporate governance codes, of CDSB's framework, of many existing standards that were already out there in the market doing this. And they used, you know, unlike some sustainability standards in the past, uh, they it really did talk the language of business and make the connection to the financial statements, to the risk committee, to the renumer, you know, remuneration committee. It really did speak to from the top down. And I think that's why it's been so successful this time. And also just as soon as you start putting numbers around what, what risk looks like to a business, you know, it gets people's attention. And I think that it was all, you know, Mark Carney led by the Bank of, you know, with, under the Bank of England and the Financial Stability Board, really putting this up there is, is, is climate is a financially material risk. And they're still tracking it to this day, really does, you know, really is sort of the driver why I think the TCFD recommendations have have succeeded. Yeah. So, so the point you just made about climate being a financial statement risk, obviously, I don't think we'd be here if, if it were not. But one of the, the I guess, questions uh, I've also been getting recently is, okay, climate is a huge risk. Let's just put that as a baseline. But you have inflation, you have market turmoil, you have, you know, everything else that's going on in the world. And so how do you look at this? I'll call it almost like an isolation when as a company of all these other things to think about. And so how do you use like a board kind of fit in climate in contrast to, or maybe not in contrast, but in and in the context of everything else. I, I think it's really hard at the moment, actually, because you are looking at what are the most material risks to your business. And it may not feel like climate is the most immediate material risk, but it may be a longer term resilience mm-hmm. issue that you need to be considering now to be able to act on in the future. So I think it's really important. You know, most people are starting to set up like committees of the board of staff that can continue to move these things forward in the, you know, whilst we're, we're dealing with quite big global issues mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, so, so that's, that's, that's a one way that, that we're starting to take, you know, people are starting to take this forward, but we can't climate. Um, it's often a long-term unseen risk. It's not an always a here and now risk. So it's very difficult to take it off the radar. And I think for boards, the, the thing that's going to keep it front of mind is regulation. I think the regulation and the compliance risk and the litigation risk mm-hmm. is going to be huge. And the more and more cases we see coming out that are attracting litigation or, you know, attention in the media in that kind of way, the more and more it's going to focus board's mind to make sure that at least, you know, every six months they're kind of not right. quite checking the boxes, but just going over and kicking the tires on their risk assessment to make sure you know, that they've got everything in, in, in check. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point because, you know, sometimes people say, well, you should pay attention to what's important, not what's immediate. But in this case, I think we have some immediate things that are important. But if you take your eye off of climate and again, not just think about reporting, but more broadly, then five years from now, 10 years from now, your prede- um, your successors are going to be saying, why didn't that board or why didn't that management team back in 2022 and 2023 focus on this because we weren't set up in the right place? Well, that's if you've still got a business in 10 years time, this if, is if, an if you didn't point. act on it. That's exactly right. So kind of going back to where we were before, there needs to be alignment with your corporate values, your corporate goals, and what you're disclosing. Yeah, that's exactly right with your strategy. And and you'll have seen it as much as I've seen it, how the big companies that say we're committing to net zero and you dig into the detail and there's nothing more than a commitment to net zero and no idea how we're going to get there, what it's going to cost. There's nothing in the back end. No, nothing in the notes. There's nothing anywhere. I'm not an accountant, but I cannot see it anywhere. You know, <laughs> yes. I, I'm trying hard. I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. I still can't see it. You know, and that's also, that's a really good example that people are getting called out now doing that. So if you're doing it, just check, you know, check your report if you're listening and you've called out net zero that you have got the substance behind it and it's public. Yes. And it's so interesting also that you say that because one of the things we've been talking about, and I know you're not an accountant, but I know this will make sense to you, is that we do have companies that say they're buying renewable energy credits or carbon offsets or otherwise, and they just want to expense them. And they say this is a marketing expense. And <laughs> so for the listeners benefit, we already made a face at that. So, um, but the, you know, they say this is a marketing expense. We're doing it as part of a marketing campaign. And 
we, from an accounting point of view, object to that because I'll just say this for the listeners. Those are assets. You need to count for them as inventory or intangibles. That's a different podcast, but um, definitely not, should not be expensed immediately. Uh, but even, you know, what you're saying is from a more fundamental business point of view, it doesn't align then if you're saying this is marketing and yet this is, you know, supposed to be something that's central to your company or important to your company. Exactly right. If you are going to go ahead and buy credits, make sure you buy high quality credits that attribute to livelihoods and not the really cheap ones that the trees will die. I think that's another, as my Forrester Marty hat comes on here. Yes. <laughs> Actually, I'm wondering, am I, no, we're not getting to this. Um, I had to look what the producers want me to ask you later because I always jump ahead, but I do, we can do a little commercial for high quality credits if you'd like. Marty. Well, I, I, the only reason I'm saying that is because, you know, for years and years, I am on a, a board of a big, um, very old, the oldest environmental NGO in the world. And we do livelihoods planting largely in Africa. So it's about empowering women and local communities to be able to grow that, you know, double their income, all those good sorts of things. And I know it costs us one pound to get a tree to maturity. And you've got all these people trying to buy offsets to buy trees for 20, 30p a tree. And it really just makes me, you know, they're not going to get to maturity. They're not going to do the job they need. And and people are, again, going to start getting caught out. And I'm not saying go and buy my credits because we actually don't sell credits because we don't think we can do it. Like we, we don't think we can offer it in that way, but I think it's just always put a check, put a check around what you're buying, make sure, you know, you're comfortable and it fits again, your values mm -hmm. and your strategy of your business as you're going out to, to think about buying credits. And it doesn't have to be just trees. You know, I've seen some great examples lately of like social housing that's completely renewable, like different ways of thinking about you know, offsetting what you can't reduce. So anyway, we don't need to delve deeper into credits on this uh, podcast, although I may have to have you back to talk specifically about credits and offsets and, and, and thinking about those, because I do think that might be the next place we need to have some standard setting. So that's something we can talk about. Maybe you can get on the ISSB's agenda. All right, let me go back to some of specifics on ISSB, because I know we've strayed uh, more broadly into ESG reporting. And specifically, I know that the ISSB formed jurisdictional working group in April for the purpose of kind of thinking about, let's go back to the building blocks, the global baseline standards with jurisdictional proposals. So anything that's come out of that that we haven't already touched on? No, not yet. Not yet. I suspect there'll be a few announcements in the next couple of weeks or going to plan in the lead up to COP or at COP. But for now, there isn't anything else. I mean, I think what is really good is you've got all these players around the table that are communicating, sharing information and wanting to make it work. And I think that's that's a really good signal. All right. So basically, now you sign up to come back for two podcasts, Marty, <laughs> because you can answer that question after COP and then we can talk about offsets as well. So um, but maybe more generally, then not specific to that group. I know we also went through the comment letter process, the the board is literally as we speak talking about those. Well, how do you, you know, what is the plan to continue to get feedback from all the relevant stakeholders? And again, there's a much broader stakeholder group perhaps than we normally see with some of our financial reporting. I mean, absolutely goodness, 1400 responses to the, the consultations. I don't think the IFRS Foundation's ever seen anything like yes. it. I think it was over a thousand when it was like, should we do sustainability? And now, now they, they extended it even further with, with this. But um, the team spent the summer working, not on other days. But I think in terms of getting broader stakeholder, we, got, we ran over 400 events globally um, with a good rep representation in the Global South um, as part of the exposure draft process and, and information seeking process. But for us now, we have to make sure if we're going to set a baseline that it's truly global. And so we're working quite hard now to consider how we, on an ongoing basis, can make sure we're getting that feedback that developing and emerging economies can participate in the standard setting process. They can participate in, in working groups and um, at COP27, and uh, this may be a little sneak peek for you all, we're actually launching a partnership framework for developing and emerging economies to actually a five-year program, which will be chaired by Jing Donghua, so our vice chair. His sole role is capacity, not sole, but yeah. his leading role on the board is on capacity building. So I'm working very closely. It's, it's my strategy. I'm working with him to roll this out globally. And uh, we're really looking forward to, to working in partnership in key jurisdictions with accounting bodies mm -hmm. and other key practitioners across the world. Because every region, every region, but then every country is really different in terms of its needs, in terms of understanding from a prepare perspective, but also even just engaging in the consultation. Does this work here? Mm -hmm. You know, is this, do we need some scaled solutions? Do we need a proportional amount? Do we need a longer sort of lead in? You know, we have to have all these conversations. Like I said, if it's going to be truly global, like we have for accounting standards, we need to put the same, same effort in 
for sustainability standards. And there's even more stakeholders because we don't just have the accountants. Right. But then what's interesting and I think difficult too, is that you do have such differences in level of interest in this, but as well, there's such differences in level of maybe need for this and where countries are even, I'll call it in there, polluting and their contribution to some of the issues. And so there's also those equity issues. Do they come into play in some of these conversations? They can come into play in some of these conversations, but some of these developing emerging economies currently have no policies along these lines. So actually our standards provide them sort of a cut and paste way, you know, with a scalable on-ramp to, to compliance, provide them with a nice easily accessible route to putting, you know, regulation in place to help attract that investment that they need. Because we need the investment in the global south, we're going to get that. Right. One way of getting that private capital in is through, you know, high quality disclosure, which builds trust and transparency in those business that that helps, you know, shift the cash, if you like, to where to where it's most needed as part of that transition. Yeah, because I guess it goes back to your point about even buying high quality offsets, but it even more broadly, if you're not getting good reporting, you aren't going to want to make the investment. You're not going to make maybe the changes that need to be made because you're not comfortable with what's actually going to happen once that dollar is spent. That's right. That's exactly right. And when we we see that from, you know, I think about the TCFD days and, you know, we're, we're so closely aligned with TCFD. It's a good example that once the stock exchange brings in voluntary reporting on an issue it's about three years till it becomes mandatory it takes about three years to get the market engaged and up and doing it mm-hmm. and then the regulator can often come in and, and, and put down a, something more solid yes. in place to drive it um, and continue that standard or you know lift the bottom up if you like of the, of the market so you know we're working closely with for example the UN Sustainable Stock Exchange Initiative where we used to run TCFD training at CDSB now we're going to be working on a program where we go out and train all the preparers and, and you know try and train all the preparers with the stock exchange you know via the stock exchange to start lifting up that that practice and that there you know there's nothing out there so it's really exciting because the doors are open it's like when can you start like we need everyone's like calling us when can you start yeah when can so you I was start? just thinking that's it's like almost like an unending amount of need for some of what you're talking about. So how are you going to balance all of the different things you could be doing at the same time? So we're going to create a sort of a central level playing field of of information and and Mm -hmm. resources that are available for everyone for when the first standards come out, you know, something global online. I suspect there'll be training, I suspect there'll be, you know, all the good things that you need to get started. I always say enough information to make you dangerous. Yes. Get get you started, get get your teeth in and be able to ask questions and, and do more. And then we'll have to do jurisdiction, like country-based needs assessments, mm-hmm. and then find the right partners to help us. And it's not an all-year-one task. There'll no, be developed no, economies no. that can move on far, much faster with much less support. Right. And then there'll be others that are actually really, you know, there'll be regulators that can you just hold our hand and help us with what to write and educate us and teach us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was only a couple of weeks ago, I had 25 uh, regulators with IOSCO in, in Egypt, and we were actually training these 25 regulators, you know, from a mix of developed and developing economies on what is climate, what is climate risk, what does this look like, getting out sustainability report, you know, reporting from any report and accounts and looking at, okay, is this good? Is this bad? Would mm-hmm. we like this? You know, really, you know, working through that because we've got, I mean, skills in this space just just aren't there yet. No. So it's, you know, we've got to get into the weeds and, and, and bring up the floor so we can really advance this fast. So yeah, so then how do you, I was just thinking when you were talking, there's almost then a frustration that you can't get it all done at once. So do you feel that frustration or do you recognize that it's going to need to be, I'll, I'll use that phrase, a journey uh, to, to get there? Did you know that I really don't like that word? I either? do not either, <laughs> which is why I almost didn't. I couldn't think of something else, but it will take time to get there. I think it is. I, someone says use the word like scalability and things like that. I'm yeah. starting to get behind that. I feel like a journey. I need people to be at a destination nowadays. I yes, think I, I like think that I've been on this for so long yeah. but but I do appreciate for many this is this is newer yeah and we need to be moving fast um and you can see I've got a huge amount of energy and I want it all done now um for me it's like right where are we going to have the biggest bang for our buck where are we going to have the biggest you know where can we actually have an impact to start with mm-hmm. where are those jurisdictions that are kind of yeah we're thinking about it just not quite sure and then we need to come in and build the bottom up and the top down sort of at the same time, you know, and, and can we find someone else to do it? Cause we won't do all this ourselves. So we'll be going out and seeking a huge range of partners. I'm no doubt PwC will come on board to help us do this in, in the right places around the world. Yes. Well, definitely if you don't start, you're never going to get there. Yeah, that's so, exactly right. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've all just got to get our hands dirty and muck in and help each other. Right. Because we're all trained to compete, mm-hmm. but actually there's also no time left for competing. We actually have to support each other. 
and and share if we're really going to to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's definitely the case. If you're at cross purposes, you're not going to get anywhere. And actually, speaking of cross purposes, then maybe my other sort of standard setting question would be: obviously, the ISSB sister entity to the IASB with accounting standards. And I know you said you're not an accountant, so you can decline to answer my question. But there's definitely a lot of interest in the fact that there is so much overlap, and you know how that's going to work and. A good example that we keep talking about is the reporting boundaries. And clearly, the GHG protocol had come out, and that's different than what we say from financial reporting. And as a financial reporting person, it's cringy to me. I'm sure maybe coming from our policy perspective, you could see some good reasons for that. But any thoughts on how you'd want to weigh in on that? I've been fighting with the GHG protocol for almost my whole time at CDSB. All right, so but, then you're, you're with us but then. I, I'm kind of with you, but I think that the practical answer is, right, we're very closely aligned to our sister. We use yes. everything they can give us, right? right? We didn't start from scratch. We're no. Like, what can you give us from your existing standards? Yes. Because it's really important that these connect. Mm-hmm. You know, I never thought I'd be merging into the IFRS Foundation to create an ISSB. I thought I'd be merging CDSB and to give yes. them my work to go to the IASB. Yeah. So, so, you know, these things are really closely connected and joined up. And and so the GSG protocol, I think, is something that we have to allow flexibility for now. Um, we just do. Mm-hmm. It's it's what, you know, it's the most common use methodology. Um, and we really have to hope that they can evolve that over time to a way that works. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have we have the agreed principles with the IASB and we just have to sort of think about that awful buzz that the word that never used to exist but now is everywhere interoperability <laughs> it is literally everywhere but the standards are designed as I said to be flexible as they need to be and and if that's the the leading methodology out there for now we'll have to be flexible but we have heard and you may have seen this if you delved into the responses uh, from the exposure drafts but you know some some jurisdictions were saying oh we can't actually say GHG protocol we can't specify any one method as part mm-hmm. of our you know as part of our um, adoption approach so you know, we may see others start to start to emerge to fill that gap yeah so i mean even the sec said they were leaning on the the ghd protocol but it's not required i will say and it's kind of back to you made the point at the beginning about you know all the work that's come before without all the work that the ghd protocol's done you know, GHG reporting would be far, far behind where it is now. So it's just now that it may be additional step to be fully fit for purpose for financial reporting. I agree. And I, I, I reflect back 10, maybe 12 years ago in my life where I spent about five days in a basement talking about boundaries around greenhouse gas reporting that I'll never get back. I'm sure it had an impact, but we, you know, we didn't manage to progress the, the GHG protocol. But I think now is the time for them them to evolve and, and really come and meet the market need. Yes. All right. Well, that's very helpful. So very interesting. Oh, that's my personal view, by the way. That is not a view of the foundation. Yes. Well, I think maybe you can give your disclaimer. All of your discussion, right, is your view. So, um, but no, that's that's definitely good. And I guess I'm talking for Heather, not PwC as well. So, um, all right. Some other questions then, and then I want to ask you also what's on your mind. But speci- another question we keep getting is this question of stakeholder materiality versus shareholder materiality. And in particular, I have more recently heard a lot of people saying you don't have to say they're different because at the end of the day, anything important to stakeholders will come all the way back around to matter to shareholders. Now, whether you agree with that point of view or or not, there's, there's definitely lots of views. So from your perspective, do you take this inside out, outside in, you know, view of things, or do you see this more that's all interrelated or, or how do you think about it? I, I mean, I think what's material to a business, it, whether it be for stakeholders or shareholders, needs to be told as part of that story, full stop, right? And, you know, I see it as, as almost two pillars. So you've got a financial materiality or an enterprise value material pillar, which is what your investors are generally most most interested in, what should be financially material to you. And then you've got a, a second pillar, which is more of more what be interested to your wider stakeholders and more impact or out, you know, outside, uh, inside out, outside in, outside in related. Um, and I then I see like um, almost like a ladder that goes in between these two pillars where information moves depending on a situation. It could be a flood, it could be a strike, it could be a war, you know, that, that does move information from one pillar to the other, but maybe not forever. And then it moves back. Uh, and that's the importance of 
the MOU we signed with GRI before we released our first standards because we realized that we needed to make sure that we really clearly demonstrated to the market that it wasn't a a GRI or an ISSB. It's actually both. Mm -hmm. And both have a really important role to play. And and so the financial materiality part is is in many ways a subset of the broader the, the, the whole materiality piece. And, you know, we've got lots of diagrams that have building yes. blocks that kind of demonstrate <laughs> this. But but I think you really, you know, we shouldn't overcomplicate mm-hmm. this. You know, you, you as a business know what's most important to you and what's most important to your external stakeholders. Well, you should. Right. If you don't, you should find out. Um, and, <laughs> Good advice. <laughs> and if you don't know, and once you know that, then you can assess what is actually most important, what is most, if anything, it's material, and then how you're going to manage that. And and then how are you going to communicate that to those audiences? And it, you know, there's a certain part that says, you know, in your main communication to investors, whatever form that takes. And there's some of it that says, hey, there's all these other great interactive ways out there we can tell that message, whether it be a sustainability report that's published at the same time, obviously, as the investor communication, <laughs> uh, or, or if it's if it's on a website, if it's on a you know a video, a podcast with Heather, you know, there's lots of different ways you can tell, tell your story to the wider audience that are interested in those other issues. But always remember they, you know, by capturing them once together in the two pillars, you're not capturing them three or four, you know, you're not having to report three or four different times. You're just thinking about it as a whole. And then, you know, they'll move. And and things like digital reporting will be hugely helpful once we get that in place, because you collect all the data, you'll tag it. And then, you know, as it needs to move, you're not going to have to go and look for it twice. Right. And then people will really be able to use it as well if you have all the tagging. Let me ask a question because you mentioned GRI. And obviously, I mentioned at the very outset that um, during the past year that ISSB consolidated, I believe is the term you use, uh, a few other organizations. So can you just, and we've talked about this a little before, but can you remind our listeners which organizations and then sort of how they fit in to your objectives? Sure. So it was probably about two and a half. I mean, it's, it's longer than that. Anyone who's been following this space knows that for about the last 10 years, we've had a thing called the corporate reporting dialogue where we all, where all the major standard setters that sort of focus on enterprise value or global reporting objectives sort of met to talk about how we fit together and how we could be used together. We're just absolutely terrible in trying to communicate that, right? Because all these standards, as I said earlier about someone else, were, were set up to fill a gap, you know, and so they were all all unique in the way they were set up because it was very purpose-driven. Except it became more like a competition than actually how we help a company tell its its story. And so it happened over you know, a period of time. And then we got to a sort of a bit of a crunch point where it's like, right, we actually have to write something. We actually have to do something. And it was the same time as IOSCO had started at Sustainable Finance Task Force to look at, you know, had financially material, sustainability information was starting to become, you know, an issue investors cared about. And they were task forcing it up. And at the same time, the IFS Foundation's hearing this kind of noise and pressures coming at it like, oh, do we try and do what we did for accounting 20 years ago and harmonize, you know, terminology and definitions into standards? Do we do we have a role here? You know, we've got a mission of trust and transparency in markets and information. We've got a good rigorous process, you know, are we the right, right people for this? And uh, so they I mean, they asked the market, the market said yes. So um, they had to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And so meanwhile, there's a little group of us over here on the side in our spare time working out how our standards work together. And it, it was sort of, you know, marriage made in, marriage made in heaven almost when, when these two, the, this group of five that we were called as the standard setters in the IFRS Foundation sat down at the same table and said, you know, is this right? Should we give it a run? So with that, what we needed to do is, you know, we always hear about the terms and I'm sorry, listeners, they are terrible, but the alphabet soup yes. or the buffet <laughs> of reporting options that we have out there for sustainability standards. And there's no point in in bringing all these together and then continuing organizations. We really needed to shut these down and get them out of the system to help focus report, report preparers on what's most, most important, what they need to do. So as part of the IFRS setting up the ISSB, they acquired the Climate Disclosure Standards Board and our standards. They acquired um, the Value Reporting Foundation, which was the I integrated reporting framework and, the, you know, the octopus diagram for those that have seen it, yes, yes. as well as the um, SASB industry-based standards. So they acquired all of this as part of the IP um, and our organisations. And with that, we sunset as organisations. So we no longer exist legally. Our standards and frameworks will still exist until they're all incorporated in. Um, and once they're done, once they go through IFRS due process, because they have to do that because we know it's the IFRS, um, you know, they go, they go drop it completely out of circulation. So it's really exciting because it did focus everyone's minds on just one set 
of standards mm -hmm. for financial materials, enterprise value reporting um, on sustainability issues, which left GRI as the organization for broader impact reporting, which is what it always did. So it sort of really cleaned up a large part of the reporting and disclosure landscape in this space in, in sort of one foul sweep of the table. But it's also, um, as I said earlier, you know, we've been talking about it, it did build on TCFD and TCFD have very clearly said, you know, once you guys have standards out and they're starting to be mandated, you know, we don't need to exist. We will sunset. You know, we, we, they were part of this process. They're very happy to go. They just don't want to take their foot off the accelerator yes, and until our standards are out and they're not going to be up before early Q2 next year, I don't think. Yeah. So, you know, that, they, they still need to exist. The Financial Stability Board needs to keep driving this agenda. Um, and then you've also got the WEF IBC metrics, which are also really important. And, and it's we've been working with WEF and having conversations recently about making sure we're integrating those in everywhere they need to be integrated in. So again, you know, it, it, when the time is right and they're all integrated, they can again sunset and, you know, and then that group can go and do something else, you know, right. fix the next problem yeah, that needs to be fixed. Lots of resources that can go focus on something else. How do you think then about industry standards? Because obviously you have the SASB, lots of standards. You made a good the point about due process, but how do you see industry standards fitting in with the broader standards? Absolutely. So the SASB standards will go through due process and internationalization. And the board are talking about that this week. And I'd be very surprised if they don't personally agree to, to do that because one, they're really important developing economies where the whole piece might just seem a bit daunting. But if you can pick your sector out and you've got five or six metrics in there that need to be doing, it actually makes it a much more manageable place to start. Um, so it's really good. So we have the S1 standard, which is sort of the general requirement standard, if you like. And so you could just plug your industry standards directly into that to give you the sort of framework for reporting. But I think that'll be really important getting people started, actually. And, and I used to refer to them even at CDSB when people are like, oh, I don't know what's material. Have a look at the SASB standards because that will help you. And I assume there'll be ISSB sector standards. But, you know, have a look at the sector standards. It's a really good place. You know, it, you might not think it's material to you. But it's a good place to at least check if if they are, you know, if it's a place for you to be. So yeah, I think I think they've got an important role to play. Uh, we have heard from jurisdictions they're not that keen on mandating them straight away. Mm -hmm. um, but again, scalability over time. Once we internationalize them, you know, I think. Yeah, and more, more I, chances. Yes, and for the listeners that haven't looked at those, I think Marty's point is very important because uh, although they were intended to be international. I think they've been intended to be international. There is for some of them, at least I'll call it a U.S. flavor where they refer maybe to some more uh, U.S. laws or regulations or otherwise. I do think the other piece though, Marty, is they're not always consistent across industries where maybe the same thing should matter to more than one industry, but it's in one and not the other. So maybe that's another place that as the board looks at these, we'll have to see if that gets picked up. That's right. And also you've got, you're going to have the thematic standards that sit alongside them as well. So, you know, you can look at your climate standard and go, oh, actually that would be material. And, and I know there's these industry ones here right. as well. So based on where they're operating, the mm -hmm. laws they're under, you know, there'll be other reasons why it's material to them other than why it might be, mo you know, the scene as the top five that seem to be most material on a regular yeah, basis so to that, that sector. Excellent point. So then we've hit so many different things, but I know there's more on your plate, but what other kind of one or two things would you highlight that either are top of mind for you or that you're talking to people as you know, you're meeting with different groups and otherwise? Goodness. Or have we hit everything? That would be amazing. Well, well, I think Heather, we, we've touched on quite a lot today. <laughs> yes, I, I know, say, the whole world, we, the whole uh, globe of climate reporting. I think I feel like we've been to many different corners yes, of the globe. Exactly. And, uh, and, and also future corners because we have the agenda coming up, the yes. agenda consultation, which will come up early next year. We're, so we're, we've got massive capacity of building coming online. We're starting to see jurisdictional alignment sort of stuff work itself out. You know, skills still keeps me awake at night always. How are we going to upskill? the globe to do this but um i feel like i feel like it's the whirlwind that the last 12 months have been that we've just literally given to these That's listeners perfect. <laughs> so then it's very representative I, I love that so then maybe final question for you would be you know our listeners many of them have not as i said at the very beginning been involved in this for 15 years and so what advice do you give as you're meeting with people who are either new or I, even not who are new, but who aren't as far along, or even if they're far along, that are dealing, you know, with are facing these new standards. What kind of advice are you giving to companies? That's a great question, Heather. I think. No, I, I think I think it is a really important question because 
one, I'd just say get started. The, you know, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Just be honest in what you're reporting. Don't try and make it better. You know, don't try and make it fancy if it's not fancy. You know, greenwashing's a real thing. People mm-hmm. are getting called out. You know, you can just put like a little gloss on it, makes it greenwashing. You know, don't do it. Just tell the truth and and, and just get started. You know, start at the beginning, governance. Get your board involved. Get the right teams involved. You know, don't, don't try and boil the ocean. You know, this isn't about boiling the ocean. It just... Take it step by step, piece by piece, and and give yourself a roadmap. You know, right roadmap, year one, governance. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it's a bit, a bit faster than this, but yes. <laughs> you know, next step, right, strategy. And what are we going to do, right? And then, all right, risk management. You know, really think it through by the four buckets. And I think, you know, bite it off in chunks and tell people that's what you're doing. And and I think, you know, you, you can't, no one's ever got in trouble for being honest, right? You're not going to get, end up in court for being honest to say, look, we don't know what the answer is, but we're working, but we're on, working it. on it. Yes. You're not going to get in trouble for that. So, and, and yeah, and I think the greenwashing is just getting, going to get called out more and more. So just be really careful. Don't hold back what you say, but just be be careful that you aren't overstating. Yeah. And don't you, put a spin. Don't, it yeah, like. don't, don't spin it and then don't add, you know, um, you know, and don't say things like we talked about earlier, like net zero, but actually nothing to justify what right. you say, nothing to back it up, you know, no meat on that bone. So, yeah, I think, you know, do that. But then, you know, don't be afraid because this is also a very new area. There's a mm-hmm. huge amount of room for innovation. There's a great minded community out there of people that are all in exactly the same place as you. And and the beauty of these standards and the way they are building blocks and the regulations that are even out there globally is they allow for so much room for innovation. And we're building these, you know, we're not going to get them right first time. Right. So, you know, have, just, just have a go, you know, have a go and don't be afraid. You know, I don't think there's a wrong answer sometimes. Yeah. So then maybe the follow on question would be, I think as people get deeper into this, they start to have points of view. And so if, you know, you're, you are getting into it and you have points of view, how would you recommend people engage in sort of the future? Because this is going to be, you know, this is not going to be done in the next six months. So what advice would you give on that side? I would definitely tell you to respond to every consultation that we have. I would absolutely tell you that's where you need to go. You know, and also, I mean, the best bit about the like ISSB, like the IASB, but not like standard setting in the past on sustainability issues is it's public. Mm-hmm. You can watch it. You can sign up, you know, go online. You can watch every meeting of every session. It's, it's all there at your fingertips. You don't even have to leave your couch. You, know? you can <laughs> pop it on the telly and watch it at night or in the morning while you're working or just, just, just while you have a cup of tea. You know, it's available. There's podcasts that follow up every day. You can read all of the papers. Like it's all accessible. You can see how this is being done. Um, so you can respond to the consultations. You can engage with the board members. There's working groups. I'm sure there's going to be, you know, when I said we did uh, over 400 engagements on the last round of consultations, they'll be the same again next mm-hmm. time, I'm sure. And the agenda consultation is coming up. So if, give you feedback into that about what's working and not where we need to do more work. You know, I think there's this is a, there's an open door of listening people here that that just want to do the best job they can to put the best standards out. And uh, to be quite frank, keep as many people happy as they possibly can to really move that baseline and make it truly global, like I was talking about earlier. So, you know, everyone's views count here because we need the best brains on it. All right. Well, that is an excellent note to end on. So Marty, it's such a pleasure to talk to you. And thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Heather. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. And that's our show for today. Tune in next week for more fresh episodes so that you never miss any of our audio content. Follow the PwC Accounting Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to stay up to date on all our latest accounting and reporting news, sign up for our newsletter at viewpoint.pwc.com. From Thought Leadership at PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and they sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.